Chapter 6 The Endowment Was the temple endowment really a revelation from God, or could it have another origin? This chapter covers the origin of Freemasonry, founders of the church and their Masonic membership, and similarities between Masonic temple ceremonies and the LDS temple endowment. The Origin of Freemasonry The earliest Masonic texts each contain some sort of a history of the craft, or mystery, of Masonry. The oldest known work of this type, the Halliwell Manuscript, dating from between 1390 and 1425. Grand Lodge of British Columbia. Some are also told that King Solomon ruled over Masonic lodges as Grand Master. The stories they weave around the building of the temple are obviously not literal or historical facts, but a dramatic means of explaining the principles of Freemasonry. Freemasonry neither originated nor existed in Solomon's time. The general agreement amongst serious Masonic historians and researchers is that Freemasonry has arisen, either directly or indirectly, from the medieval stonemasons who built great cathedrals and castles. Those who favor the direct descent from operative Masonry say there were three stages to the evolution of Freemasonry. The stonemasons gathered in huts, or lodges, to rest and eat. These lodges gradually became not the hut, but the grouping together of stonemasons to regulate their craft. In time, and in common with other trades, they developed primitive initiation ceremonies for new apprentices. As stonemasons could easily travel all over the country from one building site to another, and as there were also no trade union cards or certificates of apprenticeship, they began to adopt a private word which a traveling stonemason could use when he arrived at a new site, to prove that he was properly trained and had been a member of a lodge. It was, after all, easier to communicate a special word to prove that you knew what you were doing, and were entitled to the wages it deserved than to spend hours carving a block of stone to demonstrate your skills. We know that in the early 1600s, these operative lodges began to admit men who had no connection with the trade, accepted or gentlemen masons. Why this was done and what form of ceremony was used is not known. As the 1600s drew to a close, more and more gentlemen began to join the lodges, gradually taking them over and turning them into lodges of free and accepted or speculative masons, no longer having any connection with the stonemason's craft. This is based on evidence from Scotland. In England, the first evidence of a lodge completely made up of non-operative masons is found. English evidence through the 1600s points to Freemasonry existing apart from any actual or supposed organization of operative stonemasons. This was a period of great religious and political turmoil and intolerance. Men were unable to meet together without differences of political and religious opinion leading to arguments. Opposing views split families, and the English Civil War of 1642 to 1646 was the ultimate outcome. As their central idea was one of building a better society, they borrowed their forms and symbols from the operative builder's craft and took their central allegory from the Bible, the common-sourced book known to all, in which the only building described in any detail is King Solomon's temple. Stonemason's tools also provided them with a multiplicity of emblems to illustrate the principles they were putting forward. The formation of the Premier Grand Lodge in 1717 had been followed, around 1725, by the Grand Lodge of Ireland, and, in 1736, the Grand Lodge of Scotland. 
These three Grand Lodges did much to spread Freemasonry throughout the world, to the extent that all regular Grand Lodges throughout the world, whatever the immediate means of their formation, ultimately trace their origins back to one, or a combination of the Grand Lodges within the British Isles. Master Mason Church leaders claim that the connection between Masons and Mormons date back to the stonemasons who built Solomon's Temple in the Old Testament. Modern Masonry is a fragmentary presentation of the ancient order established by King Solomon, from whom it is said to have been handed down through the centuries. That he was not sorry there was such a similarity because of the fact that the ordinances and rites revealed to Joseph Smith constituted a reintroduction upon the earth of the divine plan inaugurated in the Temple of Solomon in ancient days. Masonry is an apostasy from the ancient early order, just as so-called Christianity is an apostasy from the true Church of Christ. Melvin J. Ballard We have the true Masonry. The Masonry of today is received from the apostasy which took place in the days of Solomon and David. They have now and then a thing that is correct, but we have the real thing. Heber C. Kimball Freemason historians cite its origins to the late 14th to early 15th century in Scotland as a trade guild, not 950 BC in Jerusalem. President Kimball and Elder Ballard appear to be mistaken about the origins of masonry, and thus the church's historical connection for the endowment ceremony. LDS Masons As soon as the saints erected the Nauvoo Lodge, Joseph Smith sought membership in the fraternity because members of his family and several of the first members of the church were also Masons. Joseph Smith Sr. was a documented member in upstate New York. He was raised to the degree of Master Mason May 7, 1818 in Ontario Lodge No. 23 of Canandaigua, New York. His older brother, Hiram, was a member of Mount Moriah Lodge No. 112 at Palmyra, New York. Other prominent members include Joseph's other brothers, Samuel and William Smith, subsequent presidents of the church, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, and Lorenzo Snow, members of the first presidencies, Sidney Rigdon, William Law, John C. Bennett, and Heber C. Kimball, apostles, Orson Pratt, Parley P. Pratt, Orson Hyde, and Lyman Johnson, Joseph's secretary, William Clayton, presiding bishop, Newell K. Whitney, Joseph's bodyguard, Porter Rockwell, and many more. 15th of March, 1842, Tuesday. I officiated as Grand Chaplain at the installation of the Nauvoo Lodge of Freemasons at the Grove near the Temple. Grand Master Jonas of Columbus being present, a large number of people assembled on the occasion. The day was exceedingly fine, all things were done in order, and universal satisfaction was manifested. In the evening I received the first degree in Freemasonry in the Nauvoo Lodge, assembled in my general business office. Joseph Smith. Just seven weeks after his initiation as a first-degree Mason, on April 4, 1842, Joseph introduces the endowment ceremony in the upper room of his red brick store, the same room where his Masonic initiation took place. Present were Hiram Smith, Brigham Young, William Law, Heber C. Kimball, and others. Similarities between Masonic rituals and the LDS Temple Ceremony what exactly was Joseph exposed to during this initiation, and is it possible that any of it made its way into the endowment ceremony? Two expository books on masonry, written by William N. Morgan and Jabez Richardson, disclose various temple ceremonies. 
They show that the words, actions, and symbols used in Masonic rituals are nearly identical to LDS temple ordinances. Below is a small collection of those that bear most striking resemblance. The Compass and Square The Masonic Compass and Square states, quote, The candidate then enters, the senior deacon at the same time pressing his left breast to the point of the compass. As he enters, the angle of the square is pressed against his right breast, end quote. The LDS sign of the compass and square states, quote, Corresponding marks are found in your individual garment. On the right is the mark of the square. On the left is the mark of the compass, end quote. The washing and anointing. The Masonic washing ceremony states, quote, Masters order the basin of the perfumed water and a clean napkin to be brought to him and directs candidate to wash his hands, which he does. Master takes a box of perfumed ointment and anoints candidate on the head, eyes, mouth, heart, and tip of his right ear, hand, and foot, end quote. The LDS initiatory states, quote, Having authority, I wash you preparatory to your receiving your anointings. I anoint your head, your eyes, your nose, your lips, your neck, your shoulders, your back, your breast, your vitals and bowels, your arms and hands, your loins, your legs and feet. End quote. The apron. The Masonic apron portion of the ceremony states, quote, I now present you with your lambskin or white entered apprentice's apron, which is an emblem of innocence. End quote. The LDS apron portion of the ceremony states, quote, See you are naked. Take you fig leaves and make you aprons. End quote. The new name. The Masonic presentation of a new name states, quote, I also present you with a new name. It is, and it follows, end quote. The LDS new name states, quote, The name I shall give you is, and the name follows, end quote. The tokens. The grip of the entered apprentice versus the grip of the first token of the Aaronic priesthood are identical. The grip of a fellow craft versus the grip of the second token of the Aaronic priesthood are identical. The signs. The Masonic sign of the Master Mason states, quote, the sign is given by raising both hands and arms to the elbows, perpendicular, one each side of the head, the elbows forming a square. End quote. The LDS sign of second token of the Melchizedek Priesthood states in the former instructions, quote, The sign is made by bringing both hands to the square, palms to the front. End quote. Current instructions state, quote, The sign is made by raising the hands high above the head. End quote. The penalties. Penalties were removed from the LDS Temple Endowment in April 1990. Masonic penalty sign and oath of an entered apprentice states, quote, Made from the due guard by dropping the left hand carelessly, at the same time raise the right arm and draw the hand, still open across the throat, thumb next to the throat, and drop the hand perpendicular by the side, binding myself under no less penalty than to have my throat cut across, my tongue torn out by the roots, end quote. The former LDS penalty sign and oath stated, quote, In executing the sign of the penalty, the right hand, palm downward, is drawn sharply across the throat, then dropped from the square to the side. We and each of us covenant and promise that we will not reveal any secrets of this. Should we do so, we agree that our throats be cut from ear to ear and our tongues torn out by their roots, end quote. The Masonic penalty of the fellowcraft states, quote, Having my left breast torn open, my heart plucked out, and given to the wild beasts of the field and the fowls of the air. End quote. 
the former LDS penalty of the second token of the Aaronic Priesthood, stated, quote, We agree to have our breasts cut open and our hearts and vitals torn from our bodies and given to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, end quote. The Masonic penalty of the Master Mason states, quote, To have my body cut in two, my bowels removed and burned to ashes, which are then to be scattered to the four winds of heaven, end quote. The former LDS penalty of the first token of the Melchizedek Priesthood stated, quote, Should we do so, we agree that our bodies be cut asunder in the midst and all our bowels gush out, end quote. The instruction at the veil. The Masonic embrace and wording states, quote, The master and candidate holding each other by the grip, as before described, the master says, What is this? A grip. A grip of what? The grip of an entered apprentice mason. Has it a name? It has. Will you give it to me? I did not so receive it, neither can I so impart it. End quote. The LDS embrace and wording states, quote, Present him at the veil, and his request shall be granted. What is that? The second token of the Melchizedek Priesthood. Has it a name? It has. Will you give it to me? I cannot, for I have not yet received it. End quote. Next, we look at Masonic symbol usage on early temples, bees and the beehive. Industry was the employment of a very large number of men, tens of thousands in many instances, on one undertaking at one place at the same time period. Where a modern builder looks to machines as the means to accomplish his results, the medieval builder, who had no power-driven machines, had to look to men. It was for such reason that medieval Freemasons thought much about and had a wide knowledge of the forms of work. The general organization of a lodge is based on the principle of forms of work. An emblem of work called industry is the beehive. Hence, looking at the regulated labor of these insects when congregated in their hive, it is not surprising that a beehive should have been deemed an appropriate emblem of systematized industry. Freemasonry has therefore adopted the beehive as a symbol of industry. Albert G. Mackey The All-Seeing Eye This Masonic symbol is found on the Salt Lake Temple, located atop each of the center towers. The open eye was selected as a symbol of watchfulness and care of the universe. The All-Seeing Eye may then be considered as a symbol of God manifested in His omnipresence, His guardian, and His preserving character. Albert G. Mackey. From the Salt Lake Temple article in the Ensign, quote, The Salt Lake Temple is reportedly the singly visual symbol that most quickly communicates Mormon to others. Overwhelmed by the building itself, people may not realize how extensive the ornamentation is. On the east and west center towers with accompanying stones representing an all-seeing eye and clasped hands, the all-seeing eye is a symbol of God's protection and omnipresence, end quote. The sun, moon, and stars. Masonic use of these celestial bodies also appear on the Nauvoo Temple, representing the celestial, terrestrial, and telestial kingdoms. The book Heaven and Its Wonders and Hell from Things Heard and Seen by Emanuel Swedenborg, a Freemason, was published in America in 1812. He uses the sun, moon, and stars to describe varying degrees of heavenly relationships with the Lord, the closest being named the Celestial Kingdom. In the celestial kingdom, 
the light appears flaming, because the angels there receive light from the Lord as a sun. But in the spiritual kingdom, the light is shining white, because the angels there receive light from the Lord as a moon. But those that are in hell turn themselves to an opposite darkness and dense darkness. Emanuel Swedenborg. From Elias.org, quote, Latter-day Revelation confirms the teaching of the Bible on these matters and verifies that there are three general categories or glories to which the members of the human family will be assigned in their judgment following their resurrection from the grave. These are known as the celestial, terrestrial, and telestial kingdoms, of which the sun, moon, and stars are spoken of as being typical." End quote. Context On March 15, 1842, Joseph Smith became a Mason in his general business office. Just a few weeks later, on May 4th, Joseph instructed the other leaders on the washings, anointing, signs, and tokens of the endowment ceremony. Parallels between Freemasonry and the LDS endowment appear to be problematic. It seems that every LDS temple ceremony has a nearly identical Masonic ceremony with the corresponding words, tokens, signs, and symbols. This begs the question, could Joseph Smith have simply borrowed this revelation? <laughs> 